ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. That's what she just read is what we're going to study in depth. Today we're walking through Acts together. Uh, PSA, Sam and I, as we were setting these drapes up, uh, married men, Valentine's Day is a week from tomorrow. This one creeps up on us. You don't have to do everything, but you got to do something. I'm just helping you out, okay? (laughs) Amen. So I hope you all had fun in our massive snowstorm this week. Both inches of snow that we got. You might be from Texas if you currently have a stockpile of wood and milk and bread. Okay, amen. So this is kind of corny, but every time, I, every time there's a snowstorm, it reminds me of the church. You know, because there really is like, so when it, when it snowed, you know, of course, we went outside with the kids and was kind of looking around. There is something just kind of amazing about snow. You know, that's why all of us had an Instagram story going. If you posted on, a picture online of snow, raise your hand. Yeah, the rest of y'all lying. I know y'all did. All right, so so as we were kind of outside, I kind of stuck my hand out, and a few snowflakes fell on my hand. And what happened? Quickly, they just kind of melted away, right? Just a weak snowflake. On its own, one snowflake has a very minimal impact. But when gathered together and working toward a singular mission, a weak snowflake becomes a mighty snowstorm. I've been to preach. Y'all coming? All right, so if a couple of us in here, you know, we're just getting going as a church. If a couple of us in here serve our community with gladness and share the gospel with our neighbors, that'd be good. That'd be good. But if all of us unify on mission and gather on a singular mission, Fort Worth's in trouble, man, because we're coming. All right. The history of God's people, you know, you're part of a long history of God's people. The history of God's people is not a record of God searching for courageous and talented people that are up to the task, but... It's, it's just him gathering people who made themselves available throughout history. And so remember that God tends to recruit from the valley and not the mountaintop. Remember that this morning. God loves to do his work through ordinary people like me and you. So as we get on mission together, weak people who wouldn't have much of an impact on our own, as we gather together, Fort Worth uh, is going to hear a lot about Jesus and we're going to flip the city on its head. Okay, so... Look at Acts chapter 4, like I just said. Sarah, again, thank you. And so the scene that we're looking at today, as you heard her read through it, it's really the fallout from Acts chapter 3, okay, that we studied a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that as you want. The the quick summary, the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, as they walked into the temple to go to the hour of prayer, this guy, this lame beggar, was asking him for money, and instead of giving them money, they healed him in Jesus' name. He had never walked his whole life. He's about over 40 years old, and all of a sudden, he's leaping around praising God in the temple, and it was this whole scene. Then Peter preached this awesome sermon, and so instead of the religious leaders, the leaders of the temple, instead of them going, well, hot dog, that's awesome, man. Good for this guy. I mean, he's never walked his whole life. That, that's awesome, man. He gets to go get a job now. I'm just so happy for him. No, that's not what they do. Okay. Uh, they arrest Peter and John. You heard there at the beginning verses. They arrest them and put them on trial. So, but Peter and John don't sweat it. You know, they do Jesus' guys. They don't sweat it. They're, they're cool under pressure, which is a change. That's an interesting, I th- I've thought about this all week, right? So uh, Peter is surrounded by powerful men. You see verses 5 and 6 here. After a night in jail, Okay, rulers and elders and scribes, okay, the, the high priestly, the entire high priestly family. These, these are powerful people. Everybody knows who they are. They hold real sway in the community. Okay, even Annas and Caiaphas, they were integral in having Jesus killed. Okay, so they're all throughout the Bible. Yeah, these are some really powerful people that put Peter and John on trial. There's a lot of firepower for just two ordinary guys that, that are being put on trial here. 
and they are ordinary men. Okay, I think sometimes we lose that. These are not, this is not, you know, Black Panther and Iron Man in front of a, a jury here. Like, these are normal dudes. They used to be fishermen and things like that. Uh, a first century uh, contemporary historian, Josephus, he, he described a similar uh, interaction between the Sanhedrin and Herod. Okay, so what he pictured, and in situations like this, what would happen, these who's who, these powerful men form a semicircle around Peter and John. They put Peter and John in the midst, and then bystanders start looking on. Like a crowd begins to form. And it's this whole, it's, imagine the pressure. Okay, you're, life's at stake, we don't know what's going on. So a pressure-filled situation, Peter and John find themselves, as the text says, in the midst of here. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, steps up and delivers an absolutely killer three-sentence three sermon, three sermon. Okay, it's a thing of beauty. All right, he, he delivers the gospel in, with, in a succinct nature. It's powerful, it's, his words are sharp. So in his big moment here, Peter Knocks it out of the park. It's a thing of beauty. So y'all saw that Tom Brady retired this past week, right? Um, which is very rare for a 44-year-old quarterback to retire. And everybody goes, so soon? Oh, my goodness. So, but he did, and, he, and he's the greatest of all time. There's really no debate about that. Okay, I put Joe Montana at two. We can debate that, okay. But here's what sets those guys apart. Okay, there's been plenty of other guys that were better throwers. You know, plenty of other guys that had better accuracy, stronger arms than Tom Brady or Joe Montana. There's plenty of guys that were more athletic. I don't know if you've seen Tom Brady sprint. It's funny, okay. But, but still, in, in the greatest sport in the world, he's the greatest player of all time. You know, what set those two guys apart was they had poise under pressure. Okay, they were cool. Whenever Nobody thought if, it was, if Tom Brady's now six points, with 30 seconds to go, nobody thought, oh, man, I bet he's so nervous. We knew that he wasn't, okay? But here's the thing about Peter. Now that he's in this pressure-filled moment, this big moment, he's not that guy. Peter, so Peter is not known for poise under pressure. Not even 100 days before this, okay, Peter was under immense pressure, and he caved. He denied Jesus three times. Look at John 18, 17. This little girl's like, hey, aren't you that guy that follows Jesus? And he's like, never heard of him. This is not even three, about three months before this. But here in Acts chapter 4, just a couple of months later, Peter's in front of, he's not in front of a servant girl. He's engulfed by a who's who of powerful religious leaders that hold his fate in their hands. He's, he, he, and he's more poised than Tom Brady on a final drive. How? Why? How has this happened? The pressure is immense. Peter and John, nobody's from nowhere. They're not sweating. They're cool as a cucumber in this moment because they know what happened. They know who's really in charge here, and it ain't Caiaphas and the elders and the scribes, okay? They know that Jesus healed people. They know that he really died, and they know that he rose again. They smelled the bread when Jesus took a small boy's lunch and fed thousands of people. They felt the tears on their face whenever they saw the Roman soldiers pierce Jesus' hands and feet with nails. They hugged Jesus after he rose again. They know what's really going on here. So they step on the center court and possibly confident. And not confident in themselves. Don't miss that part of the story. No, no, no. They're confident because they know that Jesus is the Christ. They know he's the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They know that Jesus is the everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, the Savior, Redeemer, Bread of Life. They know he's the only begotten Son, the Alpha and Omega. The Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, the Word, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the True Vine, the Bread of Life. They know that Jesus is our Deliverer. 
that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's our hope, our peace, and our friend. They know. And so they walk into this trial, cool as a cucumber, ready to rock. They're totally sure that the God of the universe is working all things together for good. And even more, they have the Holy Spirit inside of them now, and so do you. So the first observation, if you're making notes this morning, that I'd like for you to write down. It's really simple. Peter faced the trial knowing that God was present. A lot of implications in our lives there. He faced the trial knowing Jesus was with him and Jesus was controlling the situation. You know, Peter and John aren't sure what's going to happen next. They're not sure if they're going to go to jail, if they're going to get what's going to happen to them and the peop- all the people that they love. They're just sure that God's in charge, that they should trust him and speak the gospel and trust him with the results. I guess I might better say that again. So Peter and John, they're not sure what's going to happen next. Okay, but they're sure that God's in charge, that all they got to do is speak the gospel, and God's going to do what he wants to do. They can trust him with the results. See, fear says, what if, but faith says, even if. Two different ways to live in Christ. There's this story that I love from history uh, where British soldiers... They've been fighting battle after battle. They're all dog tired. Uh, there's, been, there's like sickness that have been going through the camp. So they're all sick. They're all tired. And the next day they're going to go into battle. It's called the Battle of Agincourt. They're going to go into battle against the French army that have them outnumbered four to one. They're sick. They're tired. They're outnumbered. And they're just like so, they're, they're just so, they know tomorrow they're facing defeat. And so they're all kind of laying down trying to get some rest at night. And a hooded figure starts weaving in and out of the soldiers as they're, as they're laying down, challenging them and encouraging them, go, just encourage, you can do this tomorrow, guys. I believe in you. We can do this. After a while, the, the soldiers recognize, they realize that it's King Edward IV. The king himself had come to the battlefield to be with them in the battlefield and be with them. The next day, the larger, healthier, better equipped French army was, was routed by the British soldiers. And the historian that I was reading, he wrote this. So what made the difference? The presence of the king. We're outnumbered. Trials abound, except for the one who was walking among us. The king himself, remind yourself, this is his battle to win. Peter didn't have the strength to stand up to a little girl on his own. But with Jesus, he was able to stand among the people that would have intimidated him his whole life. You you know, you're not ready, whatever the battle is, you're not ready for the battle because you're strong. You're not ready for the sickness because you're so tough, okay? You're ready because the king is walking among us. Emmanuel, God with us, he came to us to be with us and in us all the time. You know, I'm I'm pretty good about leaning on Jesus in the valley, okay? Where else can you look but up when you're down, right? But after the valley, sometimes I kind of start going, man, I, man, what I said was really good there. Man, what I did, that was kind of tough there, right? And so I, I begin to kind of embody my man, Snoop Dogg. I want to thank me. <laughs> I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for, for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. So, and I can't wait for him to do the the Super Bowl halftime. I'm excited about this halftime show. Okay, I love Snoop. But that is the way to exhaustion. Down in the valley, I'm going to be like, oh, Lord, nobody can do this but you. And I really believe it and I really mean it. But out of the valley on the mountaintop, I'm like, 
I got to thank me right now. I mean, I really endured that trial right there. So, but that is the path of exhaustion. Peter here, he is showing us, no matter the trial, no matter the win, no matter the loss, to trust in God. So when you're facing a trial, when you're in a trial, when you're out of a trial, where is your confidence? Is it in yourself, on your own shoulders? I believe in me. I believe I can do this. That path will lead you to exhaustion inevitably. Is it, your, is it in your boss? Is it in your spouse? Several months ago, as we walked through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, we looked at one of the big ideas of the Bible, which is you are controlled by what you fear and by what you love. You're controlled. Your actions, your words, your thoughts, all these things are controlled by what you fear and what, love, and what you love. So when Peter denied Jesus a few months before this, he was controlled by fear. He was fearful of being embarrassed in front of these people. He was fearful of getting killed, fearful of all these kinds of things. But now, here in Acts 4, further in his discipleship, now Peter's heart has turned to love for Jesus. So he faces an actual trial and boldness and faith come out, right? This is what it looks like to walk by faith in life. So if you face a trial and you spin out or you dive back into your sin or you find yourself talking to everybody about it except for God, ask yourself, man, where is my confidence? Where is my hope? Who am I trusting to endure here? To, to, who am I trusting here? So, you know, Peter trusted Jesus and you can really see you can really see here a new freedom in Peter that didn't exist in the Gospels in the earlier parts of the New Testament. He's really experiencing a freedom here that he hadn't experienced before. He's grown in Christ. He's trusting Jesus. His faith is strong in Jesus. So circumstances don't toss him this way or that. The question quickly becomes for us, well, how do I get there? I want to grow in Christ. I want to endure. I want to face trials and and. and Enjoy victories like Peter is doing here. So for a long time, I really, under, we talked about this in small group, my small group last week, how I, I, I really underestimated spiritual habits in my life. People call them spiritual disciplines. And so, you know, people ask like, why won't Jesus do this to me? Where I see these people acting in faith and enduring in faith and, and winning and losing in life, but going through, why won't Jesus do that for me? And so, I, again, I underestimated the, the real power in my life from spiritual disciplines, from spiritual habits. And so I have habits that I do daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. I'll tell you about the, we don't have time for all of it probably, but the daily ones. So I, I read the Bible, I study the Bible rather, and I pray every day. You know, and that's kind of the blocking and tackling of growing in Christ, right? Every, but, you know, it's a pretty simple process. I'll read normally two chapters a day, sometimes three, sometimes one, depending on where I am in the Bible. And I'll just make a lot of notes on it. I'll ask questions. Why did he say it like that? Why did they note the color of the drapes? What does that have to do? And I just really study, get into the Bible for the purpose of, I try to every single day as part of my spiritual habit, not just read so that I can hear God's word, but also do something from that. I'll pray something from it. Or I'll try to enact it because I want to make sure to not be just a hearer of the word, but a doer also, as the scripture says. So every day, I'm getting in the word. Sometimes I miss a day. It's rare, but I just give myself some grace there. Most days, okay, I read the Bible and pray. And it's not an hour-long prayer or anything like that. Not Charles Spurgeon, okay. But I read the Bible and I pray. I read the Bible and I pray every single day, okay, most days, like I said, okay. And then uh, I also, I've added, like a, I heard uh, a pastor that I really appreciate. He talked about a quick time of afternoon prayer and the evening prayer that he has too. I've added that in the past couple of years. And so the morning time with the Lord, evening prayer, okay. And then uh, one of my spiritual habits, one of my spiritual disciplines is I try to invite somebody every day. Um, 
I probably do that. I probably do that with more consistency than anything. And so there's just something about it for me when I share the gospel with somebody, when I invite somebody to church, and that person does not deserve Jesus at all. I'm reminded how I don't deserve Jesus at all. And I'm reminded how good the gospel is. And I'm reminded that he saved a wretch like me. And it, and it just brings my it just brings me joy in him as I every time as I invite somebody, invite them to Jesus, invite them to the church. So that's that, that's some daily disciplines that I Weekly, I come to church, amen. Okay, this is a spiritual habit that you're forming here. I go to city group, and in city group, we read the Bible, we pray together, and we eat together. Okay, there's also an accountability that comes with being in a city group. I'm less likely to fall off into sin and go crazy because I don't wanna disappoint my friends. Okay, so there's that piece too. Those are the weekly habits. Again, um, I'll get into the monthly and yearly ones later. I, I mentioned all that to say, you know, I forget who it was that said, we forget most of the meals that we eat, but it kept us alive, okay? So not every time we come to church is it going to be this thing, right? A lot of times it happens in here, okay? Not every single time. Not every time that you read the Bible in the morning is it going to be this Shekinah glory and God just whispers in your ear, right? Okay, but with discipline, day after day, these habits have a cumulative effect on you, it, you know, if you go to the gym one time, you're not going to have a six-pack, I can tell you. Okay, you, you go, somebody's like, hey, if, if you'll do this workout for four hours, six-pack, I'm in, okay? But that's not how it works, right? But over time, with diligence and disciplines, you change. So what are your spiritual habits that are going to lead toward change daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? What are some things that would liken you to Christ? So, you know, we just passed January where a lot of us are like, I really want to be healthy this year. Great. Okay, so, so if, if, you, if you want to be healthy, great. So uh, what, are your, what, are you sleep, what are your sleeping habits? What are your, what's your diet like? What, what's, those are the questions you ask, right? Similarly, you're like, I really want to grow in Christ. Why won't Jesus produce in me? Well, th this is what we're talking I want to grow in Christ. Great. Well, what are your reading habits in the scripture? What city group do you go to? All those kinds of things. And I never, my intention is never to add pressure on you there. We all have enough weighing us down. We all have enough unmet expectations in our lives, okay? I'm not doing that. I'm not giving you a list of do's and don'ts, okay? Far from that. The idea is to have Christ grow in your heart so that when you face a trial, so that when you get in the valley, Jesus spills out. Faith pours out. And the way for that to happen is for you to grow in these habits. And so my, my encouragement to you is not to try and go, okay, I'm going to do everything Matt mentioned this morning. I'm gonna do all that forever, every day, because that isn't sustainable. So what's one new habit that you can incorporate this month or even this year? Read the Bible for five minutes in the morning. Or pray for, if, you know, a lot of us just never pray. What's a, what's a time that you can pray for 10 minutes a day? We can talk about what to pray another time. But so, so maybe it's after you drop the kids off and I got 10 minutes in the car, Every day on my commute to work, I'm going to turn the radio off and I'm going to pray or I'm going to think about God, something like that. So what's a sustainable thing, a, a habit that you can incorporate in your life to grow in Christ? Okay, i got to get going at verses 8 to 12. Look again. Then Peter, so he's surrounded by this who's who of powerful men. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today, Concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you, all of you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus was rejected by the establishment, but exalted to the right hand of God, as the Psalms prophesied. Jesus is the stone on which the new spiritual temple is built. Peter's basically saying the Messiah that you rejected, the Messiah that you turned away, uh, by the way, the Messiah that's risen now, he's the one that's given me the authority here today. Jesus is the new foundation of a new temple. So ultimately, Peter's telling them that their plan didn't work. Okay, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, like I mentioned, they were integral in having Jesus killed. And I think they thought, okay, this movement's kind of getting big, and so let's just cut the head off of the movement, and then everything's going to be fine. But now they're finding, in Acts chapter 3, 3,000 people are saved. Acts 4, 5,000 people are saved. They're healing people in the temple. Something's going on here. Pretty clear that Jesus isn't dead since he just healed somebody a couple of minutes ago. So um, what becomes clear is Peter and John aren't the men on trial here, okay? The religious leaders are the men really on trial here. They, they were on the wrong side of God's work, which they begin to see, I think, in verse 13, which now, so they're responding to what Peter said. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they, Peter and John, were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. I love that last phrase there. You know, the council is astonished. If, if Peter steps up and he's like, he says all these amazing things, and then he goes, you know, I learned this at Harvard Law before I got my PhD at Yale. Everybody's like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, that's cool. But these, as it says here, are, un, are uneducated common men. The, the technical word is they are unlettered men. And so they're like, they're astonished that they're able to say these things. So the council gets to talking, and they're not, they're not able to really charge Peter and John with anything. So they're like, look at verse 17 to 20. But in order that it may spread no further, <laughs> they still think they're in control, among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in Jesus' name. So the council called Peter and John and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John were like, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or rather than to God, you got to judge that. For we cannot speak, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There's a boldness there that we need to pray for, okay? There's, uh, Peter's being bold because he's on the side of the truth and people need to hear the truth. He, here's the often uncomfortable truth uh, these days. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men that can be saved. Only Jesus, right? And think about, <laughs> think about who Peter's talking to here. Uh, he's not saying, you know, he's saying that even the high priestly family can't earn their salvation, even the high priestly family have to go through Jesus, okay? Only through Jesus can they get there. So you, 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 me, 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 you can only be saved through Jesus. And, you know, God doesn't have grandkids. That's great if your parents are Christians or they were, your grandparents took you to church. That's awesome. That's really, really, a, praise God for that. But God doesn't have grandkids. The matter is between you and God. And I'll go a step further for baptism as well. The matter is between you and God. I am so glad if, if your parents had you christened as a baby or they had you sprinkled as a baby, I'm so glad about that. I, I appreciate what they were doing in dedicating you to the church and dedicating you to Jesus. But from the scriptures, we can tell, we can see that the matter is, is not if your parents decide for you to be sprinkled or baptized. It's, it's a matter between you and God. So uh, in the scriptures always, it's after 
you decide to follow Jesus, that you're baptized. So if that's something that you need to follow Jesus in, I'd be happy to talk about it, okay? So it says, salvation is in no one else but Jesus. So Peter and Judas, remember Judas, bad guy? They betrayed Jesus, both of them. Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus, okay? Um, but what Judas did for profit, Peter did for free, okay? But Peter repented, and he turned back to Jesus. It's never too late, okay? We see in Peter, he messed up. If you just want to read through the Gospels and see what Peter did to see where he is now, it's kind of a funny thing. He, he, he messed up over and over. He betrayed Jesus. He turned on, he's cutting people's ear off and stuff. It's crazy, okay? But he, he kept repenting and turning back to Jesus. So my second observation from the text is simply Peter was bold, and he pointed people to Jesus. And that's it's a simple thing that we have to, that we get to, rather, in Acts. So you can be bold because the resurrection is true. You ought to be bold for the sake of your neighbor. You know, Peter didn't pull the audience and go, hey, what's everybody, how's everybody going to feel about this if I say it, okay? He simply just shared the gospel. So, um, you know, Peter and John were not preaching rules. They were preaching resurrection. We do not have the burden of going out to the community and going, you got to follow these rules. First of all, we can't even say that because we're rule breakers, okay? All of us, myself foremost. No, Jesus is our message. We proclaim him. And so love, we're the people of love. Love calls us to take risks for others, to expose ourselves to embarrassment and suffering for their sake. So take the risk at work and share Jesus. Take the social risk at school or in your neighborhood and share Jesus. Take the risk and share the gospel on your social media. Point people to Jesus like uh, Peter is. So really, you know, the theological conclusion of Peter's speech is clear here. There's nowhere else to turn for salvation. Only in Jesus. Salvation comes by means of nobody else, nothing else. And so uh, there's this new book called Stay Salt that I've really enjoyed lately, and Rebecca Pippert is the one who wrote it. And she has this chapter in there. The whole chapter uh, is called We Have a Better Story. And that's so true. When we go out and we share with people, we don't have this kind of terrible news that they have to stop doing all the stuff that's fun, and they don't. And then now they got to do all the stuff that's not fun. That's not our message. We have a better story. Everybody around you all day, every day, in your office place, at your gym, wherever you go, everyone is wondering and searching for a story big enough to put their lives under. Okay, and we have that story. The only ones in the world. To paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, my guy, y'all got to read him. Okay. He says that the gospel is the key that fits the lock. Everybody's looking for this story, and we have access to it. We get to share it. It opens our eyes to understanding how reality, how it really is, true life. And so uh, as the band comes up, you guys want to come on up. You guys were moving a second ago. So here's how I want us to, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in a minute. But first, I always want to make sure that you have the opportunity to respond to Jesus. If, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus before, today's the day of salvation, the Bible says so. There's salvation in no one else. If you're looking to, uh, you know, uh, a feeling or money or another, anything, it will never be able to save you. Only Jesus can, and, and he wants to forgive you of your sin. 